is a production of Production Community. Good afternoon and welcome to The Race Shop. It's uh, episode 001. Uh, my name is Drew, co-host here, Kevin Owen, and we are, I guess, kind of putting this together. It's a little bit awkward. I think the first one, nobody really knows what we're doing, who we are. Um, this is just something that we kind of bounced around. Uh, where did we go? Was it the Dells? I don't um, remember what track it was. And, uh, you know, we're talking about, talking about some racing podcasts, talking about history here in the Midwest. And uh, so I've been wanting to start a podcast for, I don't know, two years or so. Um, and we really just kind of threw this thing together, I guess. Yeah, there's no method to the madness. Um, you know, we're race fans. We like talking about racing. So um, let's put a show together. Yeah, so our first guest, uh, in a little bit here, we're going to be interviewing Greg Oliver and just kind of going through his story. Um, somebody that I don't know if a lot of people understand or know the connection that I have to him. Um, my dad grew or flagged at lacrosse um, from, I think, 93 to 99, and Greg was actually the guy that took over for my dad. Um, and then when I moved back down to the area, uh, he kind of took me under his wing. I was a 17-year-old kid, thought I knew everything. Um, he really helped me out and, um, you know, so I've grown a lot, um, from him and something that I really appreciate. And, and Greg is a historian, um, a wonderful historian of racing, um, especially in this area. So, uh, very fitting that the first show be about the history of racing in our area. So looking forward to having Greg on here as a guest. Episode 001. We're not really sure what we're going to get here. So, uh. And I think we'll go through, you know, as we continue to do these, a little bit more of who I am, who you are, Kevin, um, kind of our background, our history. Um, I don't think we need to bore, bore everybody uh, today right away. Um, but what do you say? Let's get right into it. Yeah, let's do it. It was the first was lap, the first man. lap, man. What are you doing? What are you doing? came over last weekend here uh, we had the all-american 400 it's a race that i didn't know a whole lot about um but a lot of midwesterners went down there uh guys like dennis prunty uh, majeski was down there johnny d um boris nason nason was down there so a lot of local connections and i think that's how racing used to be um so it was one of those deals once it went on to speed 51 uh, i was like hey let's rent it and get some guys together um an interesting race. It's a battle of attrition. Yeah, uh, very much so. You know, I don't definitely the fastest car doesn't necessarily always win. Uh, it has to make it 400 laps, um, and a little bit of controversy. It wasn't necessarily at the racetrack, um, but the whole Nassi, Stephen Nassie and Donnie Wilson. Um, I don't know if you've seen, kind of what went or went onto Facebook and social media, um, and we were talking before we came on here, kind of the pros and cons to that. Um, if you didn't see what happened, I don't know. If, did you see what happened there between, I think it was Cole Butcher and, and Steven Nassie? We were watching, and of course, you know, we're watching three TVs here because we're watching the Packers and we're watching the NASCAR race from Texas. Um, we scroll over and we see the 53 in the wall and the 51 was in the area. So. And this was early. This was lap 14 yep. of the 400-lap race. Um, I don't know. There's give and take there, but it's Steven Nassie. You know, um, I didn't know what happened. There's no replay on Speed 51, so nobody really knows what happened. Um, you just you don't know until the next day. And um, I thought it had kind of blown over, and then all of a sudden I get a Facebook message on, on my iRacing team. Uh, hey, you should go check this out. I've been spending the last two hours reading through comments. Um, and it was Donnie Wilson calling out Stephen Nassie um, with pictures and screenshots and radio chatter. Uh, it sure was interesting. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know. It's I mean, it's short. It's short track racing. I mean, and now the stage is so much different where, you know, things have changed so much from a fan calling out Daryl Waltrip to fight him in the Kmart parking lot. Now we have social media and it's a whole new arena for um, disagreements, I guess. Yeah. And it, you know, I saw the screenshots. I'm not the biggest Steven Nassie fan. I think he's aggressive, but you know what you got with him, you know, and a spotter needs to know what you have with him as well. And Cole's bumper was like, he wasn't clear. And you know, Nassie on lap 14, isn't going to give that up. There could there be give and take? Absolutely. Should there be? I don't know. You know, that's not for us to decide. That's for those two to decide. 
Um, and like you said, I think this is something that's been going on forever. Uh, drivers don't like each other, but it used to be, you know, it stayed within the teams. It stayed after the races. It stayed in the race shop. Um, and now it's rolled over to social media. It's rolled over to Facebook. Now we have the entire nation involved. But I don't know if that's a bad thing. Yes and no. I, I Is it the whole good news bad news is good news thing um for the sport or is it really a or is it really a black eye you know that's that's it's all in how you see it right and i don't again i i can tell you the next race that they're at i'm probably going to be renting the speed 51 coverage these two have had a run-ins before uh they got into each other at a blizzard race they were throwing punches through the window net a uh, very similar situation but this was between donnie wilson and nasi cole butcher was driving a donnie wilson car uh, Nassie says he tried to talk to him after the race. Wilson says, you know, whatever, you know, he didn't see that he didn't hear the radio audio or the radio chatter. Um, as soon as the, as soon as the incident happened, didn't see the pictures yet, uh, until he had gotten home or overnight and then decided to, but I, I think there's better ways to do it. But again, I think, you know, we have those rivalries now, right? We're going to watch those two. And usually wherever Steven Nassie goes, there's, there's going to be some sort of controversy that follows, and he doesn't back down from that. I think that's, that's racing. I, I think that's what we've all grown up watching. Um, from, I don't know, from the first time we probably turned a NASCAR race on, we watched somebody have a problem with Dale Earnhardt. And some of the best feuds were with Dale Earnhardt. Um, and I think that's why people still watch. And, and especially now we have Hamlin versus Logano. It's, it's, it's about, it's about the competition. It's about the personalities and the social media arena makes it a whole new ball game. Right. That's the thing. I don't, that's maybe the one area I'm not so sold on. Like now we have fans involved. Is it going to escalate over again? It's not just the teammates now. Now it's fans of both drivers. Um, I don't know. I can tell you the next race, whether it's the Governor's Cup or the Snowball, whenever those two meet again, you probably should put a camera and just follow Steven Nassi around because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when it's going to happen. Um, but again, when you're racing Steven Nassi, you got to know. If you're not clear, don't clear him. It's just It don't matter if it's lap one or lap 400. Uh, he's not going to give you that spot. That's just how he runs. Yep, I think that's just drivers learning how to deal with drivers. And uh, that young man might have gotten his first taste of dealing with uh, with Steven Nassi. Absolutely. So we'll go ahead. We'll roll into uh, our featured interview here with Greg Oliver. Uh, a lot of exciting discussion coming up, a lot of questions. Um, and really, he's he's somebody that from racing to promoting to the history side of it uh, is really important, I think, here in the Midwest. <laughs> back this time uh we do have greg oliver down here in our i guess professional epic headquarters studios here temporarily uh until we move over to the weirs building um but greg i was kind of talking about before uh you came on just our relationship uh you taking over for my dad flagging in 99 um you know and then kind of with the big eight series and just you kind of mentoring me as a, as a young kid in the sport um and you know the hours of of car rides you know, and I just thought you'd be a good first guest to bring on and, and share some of the stories. And so I guess I kind of just want to start off there. Where did your passion for racing, was it, you know, was it somebody that got you into the sport? Was it a family member? Was it growing up watching somebody? Um, how did, where did your passion for racing come from? Um, I, st- my, I got involved in racing from basically day one of my life. My, I, was at, uh, I was at races when I was six months old at lacrosse. It was still a dirt track. Uh, my mom would take me there and dad raced uh whatever hobby stock whatever it was uh one of the races i was at dad flipped the car helmet fell off and of course people are yelling there goes my dad's head you know and my mom is in a panic um but that was yeah i've i've been at a racetrack practically from from the get-go and and uh so yeah i've been, i've not missed a lot of race nights uh at lacrosse over the years how in the world did mom continue you guys to race after that moment <laughs> I don't think she had much of a choice in the deal. She's my mom has been amazing for, you know, for in this racing deal for, for growing up a farm girl. I don't, you know, she put up with a lot of racing from dad to me to Todd and my brother Tim raced a little bit. And I think Todd finally retired here, what, two years ago now. So, and now dad's up at Toma. So yeah, she's, 
she's part of it whether she wanted to be or not. Um, I guess kind of, you know, was, you know, growing up, uh, you know, kind of who did you idolize? Was there, was there a certain racer? Was it your dad? Was it family? Um, oh, obviously dad when he raced, but I was, uh, I was a huge Tom Raffner fan. Um, growing up, I, I, I loved watching Tom Raffner. I was there when he won the first Oktoberfest. Um, I don't know if that was the, what got me going on him or not, but that's, I was a Tom Raffner fan and. I was not a big fan when I would stand in the high-rise grandstand and see Dick Trickle pulling in because that was that meant that Tom may not win the feature that week. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I got to work with Tom two years ago at Oktoberfest when we uh, put him in the uh, javelin, Johnny Gilbertson's javelin, and definitely one of the coolest racing experiences of my life. And uh, so awesome to watch. Like Tom's seventy-eight now, and um, you know it's pretty cool when he comes in. And he goes. I think this thing's kind of tight. Can we fix it? Can we make it better? Um, they don't. They don't forget. No. So yeah, very cool. Very cool, Greg. What was your first race car? Where did you get your start into racing? Um, my first race car was a '74 Chevy Impala, and I raced up when they reopened Toma as Wild Bill's Track and Trail. Um, I got the. I went up there. Well, actually, we were riding bikes around Bangor, and I happened to go to my Kurt Tiki shop, and there's this car sitting on a trailer, and it. Didn't quite look like a demo car, but it was nothing I'd seen race at lacrosse. So I asked Kurt about it, and he says, well, he's racing up at Toma. I run home. I said, Dad, where's a racetrack at Toma? And he's like, haven't you ever been there? And I'm like, Dad, I'm 16 years old. If, I, if you didn't take me, I haven't been there. Next week, we went up to Toma, and they were racing bombers is what they called them. Just, uh, and they were close to that. They were close to junk. And uh, two weeks later, or next, the next week, I went down to Bud, Cooley Bud, down okay. to Cooley Ford. Yeah. I said, Bud, I got you know, I need a car. And he says, Well, I don't have anything I can sell you. I said, But I got this Impala. I'll sell it to you for parts. So I bought a parts car for fifty bucks from Bud and the and rest is history. Were you the first one to get a car? Because I know you you know you said your brother, are you the oldest of the three that yeah, raced? I, I was the first to get it. And then uh, my brother Tim was always basically the helper. And then when Todd turned sixteen, he bought a well, then a street stock at Lacrosse. It's another big Impala and yeah. So I was the oldest. I kinda was the trailblazer, but it's uh yeah well i have a lot of memories of of your cars greg because i'm a track rat too <laughs> for the most part um age six probably at the racetrack um the pink monte carlo of uh, louis rupps i do believe i remember that car quite vividly and the all sheet metal grand prix that oh, you yeah. had um <laughs> those are two cars that uh that uh, stir my memories when it comes to greg oliver yeah, that uh, that Monte Carlo was that was probably my favorite car. Um, that was the second car I had. Um, we built that. You know, all of our cars were pretty much built from scratch ourselves in a little one car garage. Um, I raced that for two years. Um, thought we needed to go late model racing, so I sold it to Louie. I brought it out bright pink, I think, at Oktoberfest that year. Then we bought um, a Javelin from Dave Lawler, and that's the body that ended up. That's the car that ended up with that all sheet metal Grand Prix body on it. Okay, so there was another javelin. Yes, Dave had he had a javelin. It was nowhere near what Tom had, but uh, you know, monkey see, monkey do in the racing business. Very cool. So you ran. So you started in bombers, uh, worked your way up. Then, or did you run late models then? Or um, I had a late model for about two years, and that's when I realized it takes money in this sport to to have some success. And when was that? I'd have been like eighty. 485 I think it was I don't know I was seven <laughs> there's a lot you're, you're them asking... years those years start to blend together a little bit but yeah it would have been like probably about 84 I believe it was when I ran a late model so was that the end of it then or what did you do after that that was the end of the late model and then we went back to the uh by that time lacrosse had started the street stocks um so I went back and built a street stock um we ran so I ran like street stocks under stock type cars pretty much the rest of the time I ran go-karts a little bit um, I think you probably flagged a couple of races for me in the go-kart when you were a little a little Schaefer. I remember you talking, you know, the go-kart days, and I didn't know exactly, I didn't know when that was, but, you know, the stories of pulling a lawnmower engine off and going and racing, <laughs> and it's just crazy how racing as a whole from a go-kart to, to a late model has changed from the mid-'90s. Yeah, because my, my first go-kart motor, they pulled off uh, somebody's sump pump is where that came from, <laughs> five-horse Briggs off a sump pump, so... I don't think you can do that today. No, not well. You probably can, but won't be won't be any won't be very competitive. Uh, so, when did you kind of take me through that 
not necessarily the transition, but you know, so you go from a bomber to a go kart, and then kind of you must have been around the racetrack to you know to get oh, yeah. the call. You yeah, know, especially was, in '99 there. I was, yeah, I never left the racetrack. You know, I was there either. Even if I wasn't racing, I was there as a as a race fan. You know, you once a race fan, always a race fan. You cannot get it out of your system, no matter how hard you try. Um, and I, I basically had kind of gotten out of it because I was married, had a couple kids. And, you know, racing's expensive no matter what you're doing. Um, so I got out of it. Uh, I was going through a divorce, happened to go back to the racetrack. Uh, Chuck had an ad in the, so he wanted a tech guy. So I helped tech in 99 to start with with Tim McCarthy. And then partway towards the end of the year, I think it was uh, Dave Tauscher says, hey, I heard lefties leaving and i'm like he said maybe you want to do this i'm like it might be kind of cool and i went to talk to chuck about it and chuck says well you know you know your brother's racing and on and on and on and i'm like i know so i don't help him on the car and you know he said okay and then what i think about 17 years later i finally decided that i need to do something else i was gonna be a race fan what was it like to uh to tech where you did you enjoy um, that or it was I didn't get to do a lot of it at the time. I was still kind of learning because I had been out of stock car racing for a few years. So I was kind of relearning what it was. Um, I don't know that I would ever want to be the tech guy. Um, There's a lot. It's just a lot to know, you know, and and unfortunately, most of the time, the racers are probably smarter than you to start with. You know, they're, they're a step ahead of you. So, which is funny because when you're a racer, you always think you're smarter than the tech staff, don't you? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's try to do you're not you're doing your job you're supposed to be right. smarter than a tech guy right yep so did you ever so with your brothers was there any any racing feuds going on with your brothers did you two race in the same division a lot or? um todd and i did race in the street stocks together a little bit and uh, and i did i did kind of mess with him one time um we were i was passing him and and there was a lap car in front of me and i just i used the lap car as a pick i just kind of eased him down behind the lap car and went on by but as time went on Todd happened to get the good the good sponsors and and he had some really good equipment and and after that we never really raced at the same in the same divisions but um, I did try to use him up once anyway so then did you have so you raced at Toma and then lacrosse did you do any other traveling um early after Toma that was first the next probably like four years I raced uh, the Dells and lacrosse so they Larry Weir's on both tracks in order to qualify for the point fund, you had to run at least twice at both tracks. Um, so we decided that Monte Carlo, we were going to race it at Toma to start with. It was, it was the original plan. But lacrosse opened earlier, so we raced lacrosse a couple weeks. Um, I hit the wall at that old opening in turn four. I hit the wall there and I had to restub the car. Um, and when we did, had it apart, we were like, well, we could do this, this, and this. And we ended up building a car then that wasn't legal at Toma. <laughs> Um, so we decided to run lacrosse and venture down to the Dells, and um, and it was a blast. I, I enjoyed racing two nights a week. Um, we did go to, I think, Columbus one time, um, and that would happen to be like the right night. We They were struggling. I think it was a Sunday night, Sunday afternoon, I think they raced at that time, and they decided to give half the purse back to the owner of the track that day, so my $15 day ended up being like a $7 day. <laughs> but, but you felt good doing it, right? But it was, yeah. And it, and it was funny. I got to race at a different racetrack and yeah, I mean, I didn't know anybody down there, but um, I, I turned laps at Columbus. Yeah. It's how many of us really like race to make money, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're working on this show and it's the first show and we're going to miss things every now and then. And, and before we wrap this up, um, I got to ask you about the family connection Dick Trickles 58 Ford. Yeah, that was, um, of course, as a kid, I didn't think anything of it because we knew that car as Chicken Louie. That's what my dad or my uncle, Ron, the car was painted number 21. I had a chicken head or something painted on the, like on the cowl because there's no fenders, and it was called Chicken Louie. So we always knew it as Chicken Louie. Um, later on, dad would tell the story that that was one of Dick Trickles' old 58 Fords, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, if I was known as a kid then, we'd have put it in a shed someplace, you know, at like, you know, some of the other trickle cars that are pe- popping up around here. But sadly, that car just, um, we moved off the farm. Um, scrappers came through and they cleaned out, you know, the farmer's ditches of whatever with cars and combines, whatever in there. And so that car ended up uh, 
scrap somewhere. Oh, very good. There was always this debate, and and uh, we talked about it earlier this year that um, Nick Clemens' dad might have had that car. So um, it was a question I wanted to ask you to to uh, squell some of the uh, rumors, as it were, that uh, it may have been one of Trickle's cars that Nick's dad drove. Yeah, and it, and it could very well have been because I know that uh, there were probably two or three of those '58 Fords. Um, I've looked at some pictures I've seen of some of the those cars. And I can't quite identify which one was my uncle's, so I'm thinking that you know the one the pictures I've seen are not the ones of my uncle's car. But um, yeah, he had. I, I was told he had two or three of those '58 Fords through the years, and because I think uh, Marzovka raced one at one time, and so there's yeah, Dick Dick had a few of those things to oh, might might be one of those things to ask Marv uh, when I see him yeah. somewhere at a trickle uh, memorial <laughs> thing or or somewhere. Um, around to see if Marv remembers that. I'm sure Marv has problems remembering things from <laughs> a career of racing. Right. Um, but, yeah, very cool, Greg. Thank you. Thank you, you for uh, for clearing that up for me. Well, I think that's a good transition into kind of, you know, you step out of the car, you step out of the racing, um, you know, and you kind of, I don't know if it's self-appointed or what, but kind of became the, that Midwest at lacrosse kind of history buff. Um, I remember, you know, kind of when you were going through your searches and hours at the library. So kind of where did that, where, where did that get sparked? Um, I'll, I'll blame it on my grandma. Uh, she gave me some photos um, when I was, uh, I don't know how old, probably 16, 17, 18 years old um, from the old North Lacrosse when it was dirt and the South Side Speedway, the Legion Speedway. Um, there were some pictures of my grandpa. Well, there was a couple of them and I, you, know, you start asking questions and Pretty soon somebody else had some pictures, and it kind of started to grow, and and uh, I started going to the library because I was kind of curious to see where it started, and I've got, uh, I mean, countless hours. I've got Tribune articles that started in 1950, um, and I have probably most everything up until probably about 2016, 2015, that uh, between the Tribune and then the Speedway started putting out, um, yeah, I've You've been in my basement. Yeah. You know, I've got shelves full of uh, three-ring binders with pictures and and newspaper articles, and I got stuff. What you, what's your end goal with that? Because I know kind of the, the idea of this podcast became Kevin and I, we were down at Jefferson and coming back and just really talking about, the, you know, the history and how a lot of that just seems to be getting lost, you know, as old racers are, you know, they're dying. Um, you know, the stories just aren't getting told as much. Um, you know, and I think it's a shame, you know, I think it's, you know, you have the Southeastern, uh, hall of fame down there in Southeastern Wisconsin. We don't really have anything around here to know what was the, the history of Toma. Does anybody know there's a racetrack right in Black River Falls? You know, that's, I think you've, you were there a few years ago that you can still see some of it. Right. Um, you know, so kind of what is your end goal or what would you like to see in the um, area? I guess the goal really right now was just to do, as you said, just to, to preserve it so that it's at least someplace kind of central um, I don't know what I'm going to do with it other than just try to keep building it. Um, you know, someday, I guess maybe the day comes when I'm, when I, when I'm ready to move out of my house and downsize or ready to kick over. Um, it'll, you know, maybe it'll go to the library, you know, the historical society or something like that. But I, I agree. I think it's important that, you know, people today don't know there was a, the North across either as a dirt or a pavement track, you know, the South side racetrack, um, the first organized races at lacrosse were out by the airport people don't know that um i don't know that it's important to anybody but us racers but i think it needed to be saved and preserved as best as i could uh, let me take a minute here greg uh, and cut in um the south side speedway a lot of people probably won't know where that track is where was that track um if you go down just as you turn off of uh we're 54 and 35 split go out towards um mount lacrosse and the road makes a kind of that straight stretch, makes a hard right and a hard left. Right at that hard left, if you look over, there's like a little depression. That's where the track was. There's actually a big switch on the light pole. That is from the racetrack yet. Huh. That's so, cool. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, I Well, maybe it was you that we talked about that once upon a time about the Southside Speedway, and it was at the base of Mount Lacrosse. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, when, when was that track? Um, when was the last days for that track? Um, it's a... It's a little sketchy from what I can f- 
fine because it was kind of it was ran by like the American Legion at the end, so a lot of it didn't get put like into the Tribune. Um, and if I I tried to press some guys at the, the it's the forty at eight American Legion. Okay. I tried to press some of the guys that I know from there, but you know they're all like everybody else. Yeah, it's it's in the basement in the in the vault so to speak, and to try to get somebody to dig it out is you know it's it, it's probably not going to happen. But um, it ran from like 51, 52. Um, I found stuff as late as like 58, 59 there, but um, it could have ran a little bit later. Uh, I don't know. I can't say that for sure, but. And then when did North Lacrosse, kind of what were the years of North um, Lacrosse? The North Lacrosse was built like the next year then. Um, and at one time you could actually race four nights a week in Lacrosse, twice at the South side, twice at the North Lacrosse. Um, they put light, North Lacrosse was the first to put lights in. Later that year, the South side put lights in, you know, so. They kind of tried to one-up each other a little bit. Um, and then they, about 63 might have been, I think it was the last racing in lacrosse. And the guys all went down to Westby for a year to race. And then the guys that had paved Toma in 64 paved the North lacrosse for 65. Um, and then racing resumed uh, in lacrosse again until, well, theoretically, I guess, till today at West Salem now. But And North lacrosse ended in 72. 72, 72 was the last year they raced there. Um, I kind of missed it. When I was a kid, that was, you know, we always went to North Lacrosse. Well, we went to both, actually. But, you know, looking back, that was a pretty cool. How big was that track? I think it was like a little quarter mile. To me, it looked like a circle, but they say it had straight stretches, but I thought it looked like a circle. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't even know Westby had a racetrack. I knew they had a go-kart track. But, yeah, uh, I was, did not know about Westby. <laughs> yeah, it's actually on the south side of town. Um, you'd have to know where you're looking. But there's um, actually like an old railroad bed. If you kind of... If you're heading south out of town on the left-hand side, there's, if you look hard, there's a railroad bed. It's probably mostly cornfield now, but the racetrack is right there. And apparently that poor farmer in, over the years has dug up rear ends and <laughs> car parts um, plowing his fields. So, um, but yeah, it, there, there was a racetrack and actually a pretty good track, I guess, at one time. And then Black River. What? Um, when did Black River? I've seen pictures of Black River. Black oh. River was actually one of the, I, I think it was 61, was actually one of the first paved tracks in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and basically the demise of that racetrack, um, was interstate. Okay. The interstate cut off the track from the town, um, and there was no real easy way to get to the track, even though it's only essentially a mile north of town. And I know you can still see, I just drove through the other day on, on like Apple maps and Google maps, you can still see kind of the, the layout of the track. And I think that even on the GPS, the satellite image, there's still some of the track yeah. there. I mean, the track itself is still there. Um, the railroad tie walls are still there. Um, it's a, it's a guy's got a towing company, a little, I don't want to think it's a junkyard, but he's got a lot of, he's just got junk vehicles sitting on it. So, um, the first time I saw it, I mean, you could still look up in the grandstand and see where the grandstands would have been. And you could see the bump where the flag man stood, the checker down the start finish line. Um, and I, they must have had some hell of a races because it was almost at turn one where the start-finish line was. So turn one could have been interesting coming to the checkers. Very good. <laughs> and then let's just wrap it up, and we'll talk about lacrosse. So, you know, let's um, – Well, like lacrosse with Salem was um, built in 57 as a dirt track. Um, and they only ran IMCA, um, the sprint cars, stock cars. It was only fair time stuff, essentially. Um and at that time, IMCA was as bigger, bigger than NASCAR. When the, the big guys, you know, Parnelli Jones and those guys all raced at lacrosse um, back in the, you know, in those days. Um, and then towards the end of the 60s, it kind of faded a little bit. And some of the last races there were essentially just motorcycle type races. Um, and then I can't forget the guy's name that basically paved the track in 1970. And I remember that going out there with my dad and we, the old crossover at turn four. We drove out there and looked down, and I mean, it was just dirt, but you could see him putting in the walls, you know, the, the, all that stuff. I, I kind of remember all that. So that was, um, it was pretty cool. I don't, I can't, I'm sure I was at the first race, but, you know, at five years old, it kind of blends together. <laughs> I've seen pictures from there, and it's just, it's crazy to think like that's the same place. You know, there's no trees. Now you look at it, and there's trees <laughs> everywhere there. And it really was um, in the middle of nowhere, oh, um, yeah. you know, and down in the basement at Weir's. I was showing Kevin, uh, Larry has a picture. You know, before Pishke was there, before anything else was there, and you know, had the old go kart track in the infield there, and yep. you know, it was just I couldn't imagine because that had to be one of the bigger tracks. You know, they go from running quarter miles and third miles to all of a sudden, here's interstate. You know, a half mile or five eighths 
paved track. Right. You know, they, I'm guessing those guys just felt like they were ripping around there. Yeah, but, you know, between there and, and Madison, um, and there was a little dispute over which was bigger. You know, you measured one on the inside, measured one on the outside, but, you know, eventually I guess they learned to get along with each other. But, yeah, it, to go from, you know, essentially what was five years before was probably mostly dirt tracks. Now these guys are running on quarter-mile paved tracks, and all of a sudden somebody shows up with a half-mile. That, yeah, that had to be a, a pretty big jump for some of those guys, but um, pretty cool at the same time. I, I have a harder time imagining guys racing Torinos and 57 Chevys out there you know, compared to what you see today. Right, the safety equipment and the, you know, just everything. Safety equipment was probably non-existent. Yeah. T-shirts. Mm-hmm. You've seen, you've oh. seen the pictures, Kevin, yep. of the guys in oh. T-shirts. Yep, the, the, the T-shirts and the, and the almost borderline uh, bomber leather helmets. <laughs> um, you know, stuff you wouldn't uh, let your kid put on their head um, on a skateboard. <laughs> right. Much less than a race car. Yep. And, uh, you yep. know. And even for lacrosse, you know, I kind of look at, and I, you know, I'm like you. I grew up there, right? So I don't, I don't remember the first time coming to lacrosse i'm kind of envious of those that get to walk up that ramp you know get to walk up the hill for the first time and see you know especially if they're used to a, a quarter mile or you know a little dirt track or you know just how big you know madison looks big but it's short corners it's more of a paper clip where lacrosse you're, you're putting everybody on the infield you know that place just must look huge to a lot of people oh yeah actually yeah you put you realize you can put your pit area inside you know all those big haulers and all that and before the quarter mile was in there yet you know, that, that was a lot of grass. You know, and I remember, you know, kind of talking about the quarter mile and moving the pit view acres and all that. You know, I remember 99. I wish I still would have had it, you know, a piece of the, the asphalt, mm-hmm. you know, that after that last race there in 94, I think before Fest, didn't they pave it yeah, they in paved between? It in between, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think it was, I think they finished it up like right before that practice yep. yes. camp, if I remember yes. correctly. Yes, yes. So it was some, we had some weather in there, I do believe, <coughs> that made that um, – kind of almost a non-factor for right. 1994 <laughs> you know so yeah the history so then kind of transitioning you know from the history um into now your your current gig you know where did the idea to to start promoting as you know gnss i think it was 2013 um you know the great northern sportsman series kind of where how did you get into the the sportsman cars how did you get into the promoting side of things um I was flagging for Greg with Big Eight and not at Lacrosse yet, and one day I sat down with him and I said, you know what? What else is there? You know, I'm looking for something else to do in this in the sport. Um, what else is there? And he says, well, he says, you ever thought about a, a well? Doug and Julia talked to me about Mid American back then. And I'm like, and I, I I couldn't afford what they were asking. I said, what else is there? He says, well, how about a sportsman series? A lot of guys seeming interested. And I'm like, really? And uh, he says, yeah. I said, I think it'll go. And so. After a couple more talks, we decided to put together the the Great Northern Sportsman Series, and um, it was it was well received to start with. Um, I probably, looking back, maybe picked the wrong division because the sportsman cars have been in a bit of a decline just in general. But um, I think we had a good idea and a good program there. Just the timing might have wasn't quite right. I think. I think I, I guess I kind of skipped over. You know, we went two years too far there. You know, because I think your first promoting kind of stint was going to be you know, at Excalibur. And that was something that I was going to hook up with you on, you know, and really kind of start to do that. So where did that, where did the the, it, the itch to promote a racetrack come from? Well, Dave Thompson, <laughs> he called me. I don't remember how we ever, he and I ever got hooked up in the first place. Um, but I was down at Rockford for the National Short Track Championships um, in maybe mid-11, maybe 10 even at that point. And um, he, you know, introduced himself and talked to me about it, and I'm like, I got enough going on already. Do I really want to do that? And so I think I probably came back and talked to Chuck at Lacrosse a little bit about it, and he told me it's worth at least hearing the guy out. So, um, so I did, and and I guess Toma's always kind of been kind of a special place to me because that's where I started. My when I was my very first races, you know, back to that Impala was at Toma Sparta Speedway or Wild well, Bill Track and Trail back then. So. Um, so it's always been kind of a special place for me, you know, where I started. So I, the opportunity to revive it, if you will, seemed kind of a, seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, knowing what I know today, I didn't have a clue what I was getting into, but it, um, it, it got, it got the itch, got me, got the bug going anyway. So let's hear the real story. What all, what all happened there? What, you know, why, why didn't, why didn't it open up? Why, how close was it? Um, 
I'd like to think we were close, but again, looking back, I don't think we probably probably were. Um, I think the reality is that Dave knew his days were numbered, and he was hoping to get it open and get it so he could sell it, um, so show didn't have to, you know, to deal with it. Um, uh, but I think the the stresses of trying to get that place going again, um, you know, just dealing with all of that, I, I think was probably more than he physically could deal with because I, I believe it was that winter that he, he had passed away um, so I, I think in reality he just he just physically couldn't meet the demands that it took to get that place up and running again but I guess kind of a, a learning right that was kind of your first taste of promoting oh, yeah. without really having to I mean yeah promote I mean it. you and I both learned a lot about that side of running a racetrack even though we did didn't actually open the doors we still put a lot of the plan together to to get to that point we did get cars on the track we had a practice day so we we got a little bit of it done anyway yeah i remember we were gonna race and then weather against us and yeah. electricity and, yeah, we and blew, all that we blew a transformer yeah they had a couple of nasty storms up there and and then uh, i think but i think that was enough at that point that um dave in, in essence just said enough's enough and we hung up the hunger up for the year then so then you kind of go to 2013 you start the the gnss the great northern sportsman series uh that had what a five-year run uh six years six years years. um you know kind of take us through that time you know kind of what did you learn where where do you think the evolution of the sport you know maybe some downfalls or kind of you know kind of what happened you know because that was i think the tour tried to run a sportsman series in probably 2010 ish yeah the um well the asa ran a sportsman series um and they ran basically in conjunction so they were running friday and saturday nights i tried to run not on at least not on saturday nights because that's when everybody else was racing um i sometimes wonder if it would because the guys that would have ran the tour went, weren't points racers anyway if maybe that would have been a better deal to try to race saturday night at lacrosse so they were running at the same time for some reason i thought they were earlier so no, you and the asa no, no the asa was they were done for about two years i think when we okay. started great and i think that was probably what greg was kind of saying is there's guys that want to do gotcha. it um so yeah so they were done for i think about probably two years um but they were I and mean, they done a good they were attracting basically the same cars as we were um but i think um i, I don't know what the i want to say what the downfall necessarily was but um it just it, todd todd from down slinger he maybe said it best and sportsman guys aren't tour racers they're weekly racers their budget just does not allow them to travel and, and maybe that's just as simple as it was is there just wasn't enough guys that could afford to travel to, to, to keep the series alive you know down at the end right you know I've, I've talked to you and, and Kevin on this you know and I think part of the other thing is in that time those cars in the very very short window went from you could be competitive with a four thousand dollar car to now all of a sudden you needed a twelve thousand dollar roller you know and I think that really hurt that division um on a local and uh and a traveling series too that the cars just weren't they're not as cheap as they once were oh yeah exactly yeah they they whether we had anything to do with that or just it was going to happen anyway yeah those cars went from being built in a garage to a sportsman having a chassis builder um and that's that's just dollars it's cubic dollars and again those guys are budget racers um they just they couldn't afford to keep up yeah, it, you look at that, you look at the sportsman series, look at sportsman cars, or hobby stock cars, or street stock cars, or however, whatever track they call them, that, there's evolution, there's evolution in every division, you look at the late models, and you look at these cars, and these sportsman cars, they evolved, just like the the late models have, so it was only natural that they would be going faster. They evolved in a quick hurry, though, those yeah, cars there was, did, there I mean, we a, went from, I you you look back at the pictures from you know lacrosse and you know that 2013 season, you know they were you know there was the the Chevelles the trucks you know they had a truck body on them they had a lot of them were 88 Monte Carlos and then all of a sudden you know two years later I think that was when the AR body kind of came out and all of a sudden now downforce was there shocks were there you know it was just in a real quick hurry those cars went from you know being sportsman cars to all of a sudden you know something that. It was a complete 180 for those cars. Almost a limited lead. Well, as you guys on the promoter side and as me on the competitor side, um, we can agree to disagree at some of the (laughs) things 
that changed in those cars. And it just seemed like between the two, we could never find us a, a, a happy place to for everybody to work, um, to have a car um, that worked. And um, there's a lot of sportsman cars out there, and it would be wonderful to get it together to get some of these guys out to race again because, in my opinion, um, I think the sportsman-type car um, on the 8-inch tire is some of the best racing you'll see anywhere um so i'm kind of biased to to sportsman car but um would like to see you know some revival if possible to get a good strong sportsman series again yeah and i think racers are their worst enemies right (laughs) you know they all want to go faster they all want you know they all want the latest and greatest which is it's what any racer is you know and so i think you know it's like you said it's it's finding that balance between you know, cost savings and what actually, you know, performance-based, you know, rule package, you know, and I think the sportsman cars were, they were never unified. And I think, I think that's probably one thing that you can hang your hat on, Greg, is that you try to bring some sort of commonality to a car that had never, had never had commonality to it. Right. Yeah. I mean, back, and Kevin will remember back in like in the eighties, the a late model was a late model was a late model. A hobby stock was a hobby stock. I mean, the, the Carlson, Steve Carlson, Tom Carlson, Terry Mushick, Rick Wateski, they ran hobby stock cars, um, but they were built, jig built off of a Howell chassis. They were tube, stock stub, tube chassis, the rest of the back. But they could race lacrosse, Adele's, Jefferson, Columbus, anywhere, basically with that car, just like a late model could. And then somewhere along the way, evolution again, you know, my a lacrosse car is this, a Jefferson car is this. Madison, and, and I don't think anybody intended for that to happen. It just did. And to get it all back in one pile again, I mean, the late models are struggling with that. And there's a million of them. The hobby star, the, the sportsman style car, you know, that's second or third tier at most tracks. And so most guys just worried about their little group and not the whole group in, in general. They, and we ran out of cars. You want to be honest with a lot of it is we ran out of cars. If you think about the cars that we sent to their deaths (laughs) at lacrosse uh, in the sportsman division, stubs, fenders, A-frames, lowers, um, everything. It was almost a natural progression to go to tube uppers, different spindles, um, just the things because the cars just began to dry up, bodies, all these things. It was, yeah, it was a natural progression for the cars to probably become faster because the parts were there that were not long were no longer stock parts right and the other thing too i mean we look at you know this evolution of late model racing right there's so many guys that don't work on their own cars now that time is just you know people don't have as much time anymore in those sportsman cars it, it, there's a very big divide now between the fast guys and kind of the the rest of the field um, and I don't know if that's from, you know, just the knowledge perspective or, you know, when you have to start going to a chassis builder to build a sportsman car, I think is when you have, is when you have it, uh, greater issues than, you know, than just being able to find cars is you can't just pull one out of the weeds anymore and go run mid pack, you know, you got to right. go buy a car to run mid pack and, and, you know, spend quite a bit of money to run to up front. Right. I think again, it comes back to that, that, that happy middle ground that, wasn't really reached very well i don't know if that i think that's just i think it's just it's racing right it is yeah definitely kevin's right it's evolution i I look at the hornets when we started hornet lacrosse i was the the tech guy when it started and jess tanner won with a an escort wagon that you know didn't uh you know we didn't roll cages i mean guys were running out there and everything and they were stock they were basically enduro cars and you look at a hornet today They've, they've evolved. I mean, they're, they're safer. They're better cars. Guys work on them. They know how to make them better. Um, and if you see that evolution in 20 years, I mean, a full-on race car like a late model or a sportsman is just magnified. You know, guys guys have those things perfected. You know, that, that metric chassis sportsman car, we've been running it for I don't know how many years. You know, that car's been around, that car, the chassis has been around since the, you know, the late 70s. We've been making it better for that long. Well, since about 19... 19- I'd say about like 1999. Probably started when racing the metric them, yeah. car evolution started, at least yeah. around, at least in lacrosse. Right. And yeah, and you're exactly right. They're almost like a stock stub how 
car. Yeah, they've you know they've just been perfected. We yep. then if you want to start it over, you have to find a different chassis. You make them run a, yep. you know, I don't know what, but yep. you know that kind of leads me down another rabbit hole here with you know, uh, you know, kind of your thoughts on the the six shooter class. You know that that's a class that reminds me a lot of when the Hornet started. You know, it's a three hundred dollar car. It's a two hundred dollar car history is going to repeat itself right and we as promoters and i guess i can kind of say a promoter you as a promoter this stuff's been happening every single time so how do how do you guys look 20 years down the road 10 years down the road and go how do we avoid that is there a way to do it is there rule changes that you can put in now to you know where it's going to go those cars are going to get perfected every single year they're already doing the tricks and these racers are telling us what they're doing how do we keep those cars in line to save it in 10 years? Um, I, I don't know that you can stop the evolution. You could just try to, you, you know, as when I look at it again with the Hornets, um, and now with the six shooters, you know, about four or five years, the six shooters have been around. They've, they've gotten better already. You know, they're not cars that Chuck pulled out of the, you know, from the crusher, so to speak. Um, and I don't know that you stop it. You just try to do as much as you can, you know, keep the, Keep the box as small as you can and let them work within that box. Um, eventually, that box is going to get bigger and bigger. It just it, again, it just happens. You know, guys start doing some things. Um, you just want to keep your hand around it as, as best you can, and and it's going to go where it's going to go. What's next in racing? So you know, the entry level is now kind of those six shooters. You know, are we looking at you know the super lights are looking at fuel injection? Like, do you think that's a good a good path for cars to go down, or kind of where do you see racing going um i i think I, I think fuel injection is coming you know you can fight it all you want but i think it's coming um i mean if nascar is allowed it and then the computers and all that i mean it can't be all bad um, but I, th I think it's coming um for those for those super late model guys it's you know how do you how do we implement so i can have it and you still have your carbureted car and we can still play in the same pile together um, that will be the the real trick is to how that conversion happens. Um, you know, and the, the trick I think in the whole deal is to fuel injection, the computers, we need to figure out how to get the young kids involved again. You know, the young, you know, there's not a lot of car enthusiasts, you know, in the world anymore. Um, you know, I grew up with, with cars, kids today, they don't grow up, you know, their, their cars are those escorts. They're like my mini, um, that's what they know. Um, so if I can get them involved, maybe on the computer side of this sport, get them in, then we can take them somewhere. If we can't even get them in with what they know today, um, then I think we've, we've lost them. Do you think the popularity of things like iRacing, things like, you know, the NASCAR heat, do you think that's helping the sport or is it hurting? Um, I don't think it can hurt. Um, I, I, I don't know how we get the iRacer from the computer into the grandstand or into, you know, into an actual race car. Um, I don't know if you, maybe, maybe you can't, you know, but, yeah, but I don't, I don't think iRacing hurts, especially when you hear, you know, a guy like Ty Majeski, you know, the, learns these racetracks and, and now more of them you hear are learning racetracks because of iRacing. It can't be a bad thing in, in overall. Um, again, we just got to figure out how to transfer from, you know, that, that computer chair to a race seat. I don't know how that happens at this point. I don't know. I think we've I kind of addressed what we wanted to look at there. I mean, I was gonna ask you very simply. We're gonna go on the inter, we're gonna go on the cup level, okay? <laughs> just just a little thing to throw out here as a promoter, as a as a person, as a around, racer too, you know, a racer. Yep, yep. He was a racer <laughs> until 1984. <laughs> yep, he said that. So, um, does that even count anymore? I don't know. <laughs> This is the first show. This might be the last show at this rate. Um, your thoughts on Penske, on uh, the Penske Entertainment Group buying uh, Indy and the IndyCar Series. Um, what do you think of a motorsports mon monster, for lack right. of a term, Roger Penske, um, having a handle on a division, a series, and then the power of a speedway? Yeah. An iconic speedway. Yes. You know, it's yeah. not just, yeah. you know, it's not just a little, you know, nothing against. You know, it's kind of Tony Stewart buying Eldora, you know, buying into that. But this is this is indie. And how much right. do you think that changes the balance of power maybe going forward in racing where owners 
owning speedways. Yeah, I, I don't know that. I mean, I think Roger is probably one of the few people that has the ability to make a purchase like that. Um, it'll be curious. I'll be curious to see how you know his Indy track series versus his Indy car how they make that work. I mean, it sounds, you know, from what I've heard, he's, he's more, he, you know, his investment today is far bigger in the track and the series than it is in his car. Um, so he basically kind of made it sound like what I was reading today is his focus will be on that and the car will take care of itself. But I think it's probably good. Um, IndyCar's on a bit of a trend upwards. Uh, I, I don't watch a lot of it, but I've watched enough to know that they put on a good show. Um, it is fun to watch. Again, I think it's I think it's good for those guys. Um, I don't think it'll have any real impact on on the NASCAR side of his program in general. But um, I think he might be the right guy at the right time for for that series. You know, and I think there's another thing that's kind of been flying under the radar. Um, and NASCAR, I don't know which group they bought out. Um, you know, one of the track groups, conglomerates. Oh. You know, they bought them out, and so it basically took it from a public company to a private company. You know, so where they're not f- as focused on the shareholders and stuff. So, you know, I think there's a big swing there, um, which I think will hopefully, you know, they say it trickles down to the local level. Um, I just, I've always said dirt right now can be popular because I can go buy a 410 sprint car and race against Donnie Shots. I can race against their top guys. We have no relay- relatability anymore. You know, I remember you telling me stories of, you know, Bobby Allison, you know, just showing up on a Wednesday, Donnie, you know, one of them, you know, just showing up on a Wednesday to race at lacrosse, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't, you know, they have to pull so many strings to get these guys, you know, imagine if Harvick got to run the the local circuit and, you know, Kyle Busch, you know, but he comes and that car has been in the wind tunnel and it goes to Milwaukee and that's not what we need. We need those guys in comparable cars to what everybody else has here. Um, Do you think that will happen again? That we'll get those cup guys back to a local level or kind of what where do you see that going would it, it help the sport would it hurt it or? would it would be huge like you talk about donnie Al- you know bobby allison i i started a feature next to bobby allison that's that's you know they were gone when the green flag yep. but i started next to him yep. you know i pitted next to butch miller you know um it, it won't ha- i don't see it happening because there's so the, the investment in kyle bush you know from m M&M mars and gibbs won't allow him just to run short tracks you know donnie when uh, bobby allison came across his wife came to the hot down to the gunderson for uh, some procedure or whatever on a wednesday he calls larry where's hey larry i'm in town can you get me a car and you know, probably showed up in you know one of boom socks cars or whatever it was and you know he probably didn't get paid anything for showing up he just wanted to come race um you know that's the other side of it now you know if to get kyle bush to come race the racetracks had to write a check for i don't even know but way more than it's probably worth, but if those guys could show, you know, Kyle Larson shows up at a dirt track. I mean, it's it's huge for the track. It's huge for those guys. Um, NASCAR has lost that, you know, the touch with the, the Saturday Night Racer. You know, they, they try to promote their home tracks, but, you know, I, I haven't seen Jimmy Johnson race a, a super late in <laughs> forever. Yeah, one of, one of my coolest mementos in my collection of racing things is uh, – a seven-year-old me standing next to Bobby Allison. Um, it was that was cool. I remember his plane flying over top of the speedway, coming in to fly to, to race on a Wednesday night. Yep. And it, yeah, it can it made a difference. You know, I I've, I see guys now, and I some of it speed fifty-one. You know, is helping. You know, but guys like Bubba, you know, and Ty, you know, and some of these kind of short track heroes. Um, did you have heroes kind of back in the day, you know, you know, you talk about Refner, you know, but when those guys left, you know, you know, when they showed up, you, you wanted to go to the race to see them. Do you feel we're missing that in today's world? Oh, absolutely. I think we're missing, you know, I, I, I know, I know there's, you know, there's pro and against Ty Majeski, but when Ty shows up at a racetrack, there's a buzz because Ty is there. Um, if you go to a super late model show and Ty's in there, you just feel like you're missing something the track the race not the, the race may be good but ty is not there casey johnson if he's not there um i think we have the guys to to fill those roles today but we got to keep them you 
know, I mean, they want to progress. I mean, I, we all wanted to race, you know, the Daytona 500 at some point. But I was lucky enough. I grew up in the, you know, most people consider the glory days, you know, Refner, Trickle, Bach, Marzafka. And those guys raced five nights a week, six nights a week in Wisconsin. And we got to watch that. So when, you know, Dick at 40-some years old finally got to run for Rookie of the Year, we all went with him. Um, you know, today when, you know, Ty goes to race Arca or a truck race, you go with him. His, 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 little, his fan base goes, but the rest of us haven't been able to buy in to Ty because he hasn't, he doesn't have 20, we don't have 20 years of loyalty to Ty Majeski yet. Um, what, what do you think has caused that? Is it guys just not being able to race as much? Is it they get there and don't, you know, they don't come back? Um, or kind of where, where do you think I, that loss, or what was the difference between kind of the glory days and today? Because today we have way more coverage right. than we ever had. I think the difference is in the glory days, they raced, they raced. You know, they didn't, they didn't have a big enclosed trailer and race car and, and run Saturday night and, and polish it up the rest of the week. They raced Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, you know, so they were racers. They raced maybe twice on Sunday. You know, the old checkered flag race news, you know, Mark Martin was coming from Batesville, Arkansas to race, you know, at, at lacrosse for the Dr. Pepper 100 or whatever it was. So when you talk about Bubba, it, it's a big deal to us racers when Bubba shows up. But I don't think enough people know who Bubba Pollard is outside of the racing community. Um, I, this, somehow I think we've lost that aura of, of these guys as, as racers, as heroes. Um, I think if we could keep, you know, if we could keep them, you know, I don't, I don't want to wish Ty any bad luck, but I think if we could keep Ty here for 20 years, Casey Johnson, you know, running like he is, um, and whoever else that comes along, um, I think we could get some of that magic back. Guys that are relatable that, you know, I mean, I, I follow when they go to the Governor's Cup or the Snowball Derby, I follow that, and, and that's getting to be a bigger deal again, um, and we need that, and, and we need those guys to come the other direction, to come run faster, the Joe Shear Classic. Um, once that starts to happen again, then I think uh, late model racing and that aura will start to feel like the old days again. Very true. Without Bobby, without me seeing Bobby Allison, I was never going to be a Davy Allison fan. <laughs> you know, that's right. that's very true. If you don't see, um, you don't see the people, the stars that you see on Sunday. You know, in some ways, it yeah it. You got to have it to bring it back. Well, yeah, and I don't think you know. And Fifty One has done a little bit with that. That we can, we're starting to see some of these guys kind of develop and grow up. But how many people you go? Where did they even? Did they race late models? You know, you look through there. You know, William Byron. You know, you know uh, Bowman. You know, it's like where did these guys come from? Obviously, they they had to run something somewhere, right? You know, but now it was when they were fourteen and fifteen. You know that we're we're at least able to see some of these stars. You know, Christian Eckes. You know, won the snowball derby. You know, and Chandler Smith is somebody that's been around for a while um, that I think we're starting to get some of that. But again, they're still not relatable, right? Because we don't have access to them. We don't, they're not, it's, it's hard, I think, for anybody to look at a 17-year-old kid as a hero. And I think Tony said that, you know, they can't even go to the bar, you know, right. and we're supposed to be looking up to these guys, you know, that, it, and I don't, I'm, I don't know how you change it. You know, it, it seems to work in F1, you know, these kids that, you know, they're kids now that are getting the F1 ride, you know, but I think it's more country pride than driver pride right and f1 is f1 is f1 i mean that's supposed to be the pinnacle if you got to that point you must be you know and they've been groomed and you know in in that part of the world i mean these people have been watching you know those young kids be groomed all the way up we watch it but we only we only see ty in this part of the country you know there's somebody else out in california being groomed the same way we know nothing about them um so i think that and these young kids are in NASCAR already. You know, when Dick Trickle, he was 48 years old. He was a rookie. Most guys back in those days didn't even make it to NASCAR until they were in their 30s. Yeah, you, you were making your cup starts at probably 35. Yeah. You, were, you were making it there. Um, yeah, that's that's a lot of it, too. I, I do believe that. You don't, they don't have a chance to get a following. Right. You know, you don't have – you don't have – well, like when let's just say Dale Jarrett when Dale Jarrett got there, I'm not a particularly huge Dale Jarrett fan one way or the other, but but just saying, Ned Jarrett's son Hickory, North Carolina, through the late models, through through the Bush series, through the 
the lower level starts in cup and then finally do a good ride with the with the woods to where he finally got there i think what was he 38 or something when he won daytona in 92 i do believe something like that right. i mean yeah you're, you're right there's the 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 you can't follow them right they really have no career they really have no resume do you think that's hurt the again the local level that these you know the parents the dads have you know and the kids have aspirations to get someplace and if they don't get there they're just quitting now right. it's so expensive you know they just quit rather than coming back and kind of going you know what this is where we belong right um i you know again the tie when tie shows up on a saturday night lacrosse there's a buzz you know i was kind of i was glad to see todd cleavers running a truck you know i mean he's been to the top of the mountain and he's back down and he's running a truck he's running a dirt, modified yeah, dirt car and um so to me that's refreshing that these guys are like you know what down deep down i'm still a racer you know we all hear about kenny schrader and kenny wallace and, and they're they're shenanigans i think they're having way more yeah, fun now think, than they ever yeah. had on nascar exactly yeah. and and i think that those guys that they've been there and now they're coming back you know i think johnny enjoys running short track johnny Sauter. um he doesn't probably do as much as he would like to because the trucks run friday and saturday nights but i can envision a guy like johnny when the day comes coming back here and running you know the, the tour tundra the dells every Saturday, whatever it is I could see Johnny still running a late model. It would have been cool to see Matt, you know, Matt retires and kind of come back a little bit more than he more than he has. I think that right. would have done short track racing a lot of good to somebody like you said, Cleaver. He's kind of paving the roadmap, right? And he's you know kind of you know trudging through here to say it's okay. You know, guys like you know Chris Wimmer, I think would still be racing if he wouldn't have gotten hooked up with the Fury deal and now he's crew chiefing. You know, so there's a lot of those guys that have kind of gone and found different roles in racing, which is unfortunate because I think. Some of those guys, they're still racers. I think they'd still want to race, but when somebody else is paying the bill, it's hard to say no to, you know, to that gig. And so I think, yeah, we've lost some of that to go, you know, those guys that we grew up watching, they made it, and then they just never came back. Right. Yeah, and that's that is the unfortunate thing. You know, I like I think of like Brian Hoppy, you know, the old NASCAR tour, Remax tour. When that folded up, he kind of disappeared i, I you know i think he's working in the business he just know. got hired at five star five star yeah so so, he, so he's still involved but it would have been cool to see him come back you know to still race well, yeah and, and when i go with him to a race every now and then or when i see these races eddie hoffman running again um cleaver um some of these other guys that i remember when i was younger that were racing in the tour series it's kind of neat to see those guys again right you know um definitely yeah we're missing that we're missing that relatability well perfect i want to transition here kind of to the last segment here i got some rapid fire questions and there, there might be some more that pop in here but you know you've flagged for 17 years i think it was right yep. you know you've flagged several series um you know and then you know between a racer and promoter kind of what was your favorite moment in racing what's been you know kind of what's been that moment that you're like man i'm glad i was a part of that the, my Probably my favorite moment was you know, my first feature win. I I got it down to the Dells and the you know, street stocks. Um, I wasn't running full time down there. I ran just enough to get the points. Was, the season was winding down. Todd had Todd was running both. He was he was up there pretty good in points. And I went down second to the last week. And of course, being brothers, I said I'm gonna go down next week. Todd, said, I'm gonna win a feature. I, you know, just harassing him. <laughs> being a brother, huh? Being a brother. Um, and lo and behold, I mean, that race for me went perfect. The, the seeds parted. I got out front, and I'm looking in the mirror. I'm thinking, you know, there's no scoreboard to watch. You know, so I'm just thinking, come on, white flag. And I'm watching Jim Hagel in the mirror, like, just stay back there, stay back there. And, you know, nice big, tall trophy I got. Um, driving through the pits with that trophy. And if you remember the Hennessy brothers. Oh, yes. Mark and Mike. Yes. Yep. That was their track. They, you yep. know, they were the champions yes. down there. Yes, they were. I'm driving by carrying this big trophy <laughs> out the window. Um, so that was really cool. Um, being in the flagstaff when Todd won his first late model feature. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that have been, been cool to be a part of. Um, and you do it for, you know, most of 55 years now. There's, there's a lot of things I've, I've seen in my life and in racing that are, are pretty cool. Have you kind of, what's your, what's the coolest track that you flagged at? Oh, um, <clears throat> I probably, and I only got to do like qualifying, but 141 speedway. Could you stood right on top of the wall? I mean, I could have reached. It was a mid-am race. I could have touched the windshields with the flag as they went by. I mean, that was that was old school. Um, Columbus was the same way. You were staying right on top of the wall. The 
dirt and debris off the track hits you in the face. Um, that was probably as close to, you know, I like old, old school stuff. I could never talk Chuck and let me flag one race from the inside <laughs> of the, you know. Um, so that's probably as close as I was going to get to old school. But I would say those two tracks, just because you could almost touch the cars as they went by. Uh, Did you flag your ahead, Slinger? Yes. So you have, and I was talking to Kevin before that I, I think I may be the only one that's race directed on every paved oval in this state. So then, well, I don't know. Have you flagged a race at Toma? I have. Okay. So, yep. so then you've probably flagged I've, at every, yeah, every paved track every, because every, you did Road America too. Yep. I've done Road America, Milwaukee. Um, the only one that was paved at any time that I haven't was what Tomahawk used to be paved before they, you know, they put the dirt over it. And I just never had the opportunity to go up there and actually, actually I have not flagged at Marshfield. Oh, I've been there, but I have never so, so flagged. We gotta, so we got to get you in the flag stand. <laughs> so, for a race, so huh? bucket list track yeah. to visit, to visit uh, is Marshfield, huh? That might be the one. To, yeah, it might be the one. I've not <laughs> bucket list. Uh, yeah, the bucket list of flag. To flag, yeah. to flag, yeah. flag anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a track that you, that you kind of look around the country and go, man, I want I want to go there sometime? Um, it kind of varies um, from day to day, year to year. I think at today I would probably like to, I'd like to go see a race at Martinsville. I was actually talking to a guy at work today about like Bristol and how Bristol used to be the you know the bump and run. You know, now the guys run up against the wall. I'm like that's not right. I, I, I you know I like to go to Martinsville because it's old school. You know you still use the bumper. Um, that would probably be uh, the bucket list. Um, the short tracks all across America are, are are fun to watch. I've I've been fortunate to see a lot of racing at a lot of different tracks dirt and pavement um and it's just it's just fun to watch short track saturday night perfect yeah i want to go to the madhouse uh, and then i want to get to <laughs> just to see it i you know i don't it blows my mind you know that they can basically race in a parking lot yeah. you know it's a football stadium and how they get around that place and i don't there has to be what two degrees of banking if that you know and so i, I think it'd just be the, the experience to be able to see that right um and then kind of you know, going through, you know, you flagged a lot of people. You flagged, you know, Ross Kenseth at a young age. You know, you flagged a lot of kind of legends, quote unquote. You know, who's the guy that you've had the most respect and kind of been proud to say, like, you know, I did a driver's meeting with them. I flagged, you know, I threw the green flag on a race that they were in. Um, I would say probably it's probably a group of guys. Um, you know, the, I was, luck, again, lucky enough to flag at lacrosse when you had Kevin Ludelman, Steve Holtzhausen, Steve Carlson, Tom Carlson, Jay Herbst. That, that, that whole group in that time frame, um, you know, we had – Lateski, Prooks. Prooks, exactly. Um, yeah, there was – I mean, we had, we had, you know, the cream of the crop. You know, that was the next – that was the trickle Refner Marzovka of their day at lacrosse. You know, to be able to flag with those guys, be able to go up and talk to them, have them come talk to me, um, guys that just a few years earlier were – Heroes. I mean, I was in the grandstand watching where I was running a Thunderstock. Well, I'd sure like to be, you know, Rick Wateski or, you know. And now these guys are talking to me just like I'm like I'm a regular guy you know, or they're a regular guy. Um, so I think just that group of racers was really neat to be a part of what they were doing at the time. I think the racing was pretty exceptional here at that point in time, too. Oh, yeah. It was yep. a great field, a great field of drivers. Yep. Well, that's Greg. I, I definitely appreciate you kind of taking time out of your night here. Uh, hopefully, we you know I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse to be on episode zero <laughs> zero one, but you yeah. know I definitely appreciate yeah. you taking the the leap of faith with us here, um, you know, and, and just you know kind of giving us a little insight into somebody you know that that I think a lot of people know who you are, but I don't know if they know the entire the backstory to you and kind of where you came from. So I definitely appreciate that. Well, it's been fun to be here, and I guess we'll know ten years from now if this. Uh how good we did, huh? <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> Hopefully we're still around. So. Yeah, that's very good. Yep. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.